Richard, today, uh, part two of our interview with Fahad Nazar, who is official spokesperson for the Embassy of Saudi Arabia in the United States. Uh, another good segment. Um, he talks a little bit about Saudi students in the U.S., um, some foreign policy issues, and uh, in a form of an informative discussion. Also talks about how he became a New York Jets fan, which we had to ask him. So let's get right to it. Uh, part two of our interview with Fahad Nazar. One of the things about dealing with the U.S. audience uh, is they hear this. And for example, your, your audiences that you meet without into interlands when you go outside of D.C., they hear this vision 2030 and they, and they hear discussion of reforms, um, but they don't believe it or, or they'll believe it when they see it. How do you, how do you get over this hurdle uh, in terms of a general U.S. audience, general public opinion of, of uh, sort of hearing what Saudi Arabia is trying to do, but actually believing that they're, they're sincere about it? Right. So our outreach effort is multi pronged, multidimensional. So obviously, as you already, as we've already discussed, uh, I do a lot of speaking engagements with various groups. Her Royal Highness, Princess Rima bin Banda, who is our ambassador here, she does even more speaking engagements than I do. Some of, the, some of it are private, some of it are public. She travels. Wadley Lucian has already mentioned some of the states that she has uh, visited over the past couple of years. She's currently in California as we speak. She is, she makes, uh, I think, an incredibly favorable impression on people when she talks with them because she knows the United States. She essentially grew up here, lived here for 20 years. And I've heard her say many times that she loves the United States and has considered it the second home for her for many years, as is the case for uh, many Saudis, myself included. So, uh, so that's, I think that, uh, that effort is ongoing and, but, at the same time, we do encourage Americans to go and visit because really there is no substitute for being there, being on the ground and seeing the changes. The changes are happening so fast that you can, if you spend a month, for instance, you can see them unfold right before your eyes. That certainly has been my experience. So when I was there last week, um, there were a couple of delegations I was actually accompanying one, one of them. There was a business delegation from Colorado uh, most of them had never been to the kingdom. And it is very, I think that's the most gratifying part of my job is that first 24 hours I spend with uh, delegations, especially those who've never been to the kingdom. Once they soak, soak things in, they look around, they, they talk to Saudis and without being prompted or without me asking them, they come up to me on their own and say, we had no idea uh, that this is going on in Saudi Arabia. We have heard so much about Saudi Arabia and read so much about it, but what we've read and heard has been just a snapshot, uh, often just not an accurate picture, not an accurate depiction. Reality is so much different. It is such, so, so much more positive. Um, I think one of the draws to Saudi Arabia, and granted I'm a little biased, but I think we do have a warm, welcoming people that we take pride in, in being gracious hosts. Uh, so that's one of the things that Americans experience is that welcoming nature of Saudis, 
obviously the fact that we do have all these opportunities, certainly for the business community, opening up is, is something that we're trying to highlight as much as possible. But it's not just foreign investors and foreign talent and innovators that we're trying to attract. We want um, you know, anyone who's, who's interested in, in learning about uh, the world really, and certainly the history of the region, because for the first time, we are showcasing some of our, our history and, and not just our Islamic history, which obviously we're very proud to be the birthplace of Islam, but we're going even further back uh, to pre-Islamic history. One of the sites that we're showcasing is Al-Ula in the Northwest. And I had the privilege really of uh, visiting it for the first time last week. It's awe-inspiring. It's like nothing I've ever seen, certainly very comparable to the pyramids in, in Egypt or, uh, you know, Petra in Jordan. It's the same civilization that built Petra, built Al-Ula. Um, so while Vision 2030 is strict, is focused on creating a, a positive future for Saudi Arabia, part of it is also, it's, I think, been able to uh, create a, a newfound appreciation for our history, for our cultural diversity, for our heritage. And again, not just pre-Islamic, but even prehistoric. We have teams of archeologists in the kingdom as we speak, who continue to make finds that go back thousands of years. And some of them going back older than, uh, even older than the pyramids. They keep finding these kite-like structures all over the kingdom. Archeologists have been just uh, in awe and, and, and completely overwhelmed by all these findings. And again, this is, the message is that we, again, we share a common history, certainly with people in the region, but you know, the history of the world is not just ours, it's, it's shared with people all over the world. And so we are opening up where we want people to come and to meet our people, to learn about things that are taking place now, to learn about our future plans, but I think we also want them to learn about our history that we share in common with people in the region and beyond. We do a, a weekly episode of the 966 podcast. And because tourism is such a big uh, pillar of the Vision 2030 plan, it's, it's, a, it's a recurring topic. But uh, of late, uh, we've been a number of uh, discussions that Lucian and I have had about uh, the archaeological things that are going on. And as you say, the pre-Islamic. And it's just fascinating. Uh, you know, apart from Saudi Arabia's close relationship with UNESCO, and they have six heritage sites now, but as you say, the, the prehistoric and, and, you know, finding, you know, finger bones 85,000 years old and some of these camel drawings that uh, are ha having people rethink the whole nature of human, uh, human existence. And as it you know, as, as Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula, but the Arabian Peninsula as a crossroads of human activity. It's, it's really interesting stuff. Indeed, yeah, and we're showcasing it for the, for the first time. And I was elated to see, you know, you said that, you know, think some of the projects we have, uh, we realize that there's a little bit of skepticism, uh, uh, you know, about, so, Saudi Arabia as a global tourism destination, I think, is one of these uh, notions that some people were skeptical about, but I don't think that's the case anymore, because I saw firsthand the uh, tourists who are clearly from 
different countries from all over the world at, at Al Ula. Uh, at FII, I saw people speaking dozens of different languages from, again, all over the world. We believe that we have a number of sectors that have simply not been developed to their full potential. And I, and I think there the credit goes to His Royal Highness Grand Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who went before unveiling Vision 2030 back in 2016, I think took a complete survey of the political and economic and social landscape of the country and correctly concluded that we had all these sectors that have just not been developed to their full potential because of the fact that we focused on the energy sec uh, sector for so long, but that has changed. And I think, you know, the tourism and entertainment sectors are maybe the most dramatic, uh, an obvious example of what we've done over the past couple of, uh, you know, five years since the unveiling of 2016, because we essentially created two sectors for, from the ground up. Um, and they have already employed hundreds of thousands of Saudis, both male and female. And I think we will continue to invest a lot of resources into both of them. Um, it is my understanding that there's at least two Hollywood uh, pictures that have begun production in Al Ula, uh, in Saudi Arabia. And I think we will expect to see more of that to come. So I think it's a very exciting to be in the kingdom. Certainly, every time I go, it's, I'm struck by how many new initiatives and projects uh, there are. And certainly people who've never been to the kingdom, I think, are all um, very pleasantly surprised to just see uh, you know, how excited young Saudis are about, about their future prospects. And I think they're just pleasantly surprised to see that you know, reality in Saudi Arabia is very, very different than um, the unfortunate negative, um, you know, perception that's still out there. Yeah, I think um, one's Kandahar, starring Gerard Butler, and I think the other is Desert Warrior, maybe starring a rock. I'm not sure. Coming to your, coming to your cinemas, you know, shortly. Um, and um, the cello. And, and the cello, yeah, that's already, yeah. that's that's about right. to arrive. Um Let's talk a little bit about Iran uh, and, and, and uh, direct talks initiated were initiated in April this year under the auspices of Iraq as playing as host and mediator. And I, I think there's been four meetings to date. As with so many of these things, we don't know half of what's going on. Um, but uh, in general, what is Saudi Arabia hoping these engagements might lead to? Right. So as... Uh... A number of officials have already said Iran is our neighbor. It has a, a great history. It has great potential, great culture. We have always extended our hand in peace uh, to Iran. However, for ultimately, it is up to Iran to become a productive and a responsible neighbor of the international community. That is the ultimate objective of these talks that we're having. We're making sure that Iran fully understands our concerns. Uh, and uh, these are not just our concerns, but I think we and the United States and much of the international con community has made our concerns to Iran very clear going back decades. We're hoping, I mean, Saudi Arabia does enjoy great relations with the overwhelming majority of countries around the world, certainly with the majority, if not all of our neighbors in the region. So it is up to Iran really to, uh, 
to take this uh, this outreach and to uh, essentially change course and to uh, you know it's not a big ask all we're asking for is for Iran to play by the same rules as the international community to respect uh, the uh, the norms of the international community that means you don't support militant non-state actors in Lebanon, Iraq, Yemen, or other places. And it also means not interfering in the domestic affairs of your neighbors. So if they do that, there really is no reason why Iran shouldn't enjoy great relations with the uh, with Saudi Arabia, as well as its other neighbors. But really, the ball is uh, is in their court. There seems to be an effort on the part of Saudi Arabia and other countries in the region too. Uh, turn down the temperature a little bit on on uh, disagreements and conflicts in the region. Uh, and, and this seems to be part of it. And I'd say that you know Turkey seems to be making um, uh, outreaches to the UAE and elsewhere. Saudi uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar resolve that dispute. Uh, so uh, it, it would be it'd be it'd be very encouraging to see uh, some positive results come of this. Let's turn to a, a topic that you can't simply can't speak to, but we'd like you to get your comments because uh, you know in the aftermath of the Abraham Accords that normalized relations between Israel and the UAE and Bahrain and later uh, Sudan and Morocco, there's sort of a regular drumbeat about when Saudi Arabia is next. And I, I was laughing the other day because uh, there was this sort of a, a, a B-52 straddle fortress, you know, flew basically, basically flew around the Arabian Peninsula. I mean, uh, you know, uh, up the Gulf, up the Red Sea. And at various points along its flight, it was accompanied by aircraft from Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and also from Israel. And there was a big, you know, to do about, oh, is this, is this meaningful? Uh, where does what is Saudi Arabia's stance on the Abraham Accords and normalized relations with Israel? Right. So the kingdom's position on the Israeli-Palestinian dispute has been consistent for many years. In fact, it was the late King Abdullah who, way back in 2002, introduced what became the Arab Peace Initiative at the Beirut summit uh, that year. The initiative was endorsed by all 21 members of the Arab League. And it basically offers Israel normalization, full normalization with all of these nations in return for a just and comprehensive peace agreement with the Palestinians based on a two-state solution. Uh, that offer is still on the table. We're hoping that the Palestinians and Israelis go back to the negotiation, negotiating table uh, because we believe that for the region to enjoy any semblance of peace and prosperity and stability. I think that core dispute has to be resolved. Um, not only has it brought a lot of pain and suffering to both Israelis and Palestinians and some of their neighbors, but it has also been exploited for years by terrorist groups uh, like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and militant groups and terrorist groups like Hezbollah and the Houthis who pay lip service to it to recruit followers and to raise funds. So if it is resolved, not only do we Obviously, it opens the door to peace and prosperity among all these nations. But at the same time, you defang and neutralize the, uh, this false narrative that these terrorist groups have been uh, uh, you know, advancing for many years. Yeah, Fahad, thank you for your time today. Um, I, I guess my final question, and you might, have, might be seeing this coming, but you are a New York Jets fan um, of the NFL. <laughs> 
um, which, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm very sorry about the last few years. Our, been our, our condolences. Our condolences. Um, we're not in a better spot being fans of the no. Washington football team. I was going to say, Lucian, my, you know, the uh, Redskins or what used to be the Redskins are uh, are having their own challenges. Yeah, it's, it's an annual thing for us. Um, my <laughs> question is, how did you become a fan of the Jets? And do you think the NFL could gain in popularity among Saudis? Right. So thank you. Well, first of all, I'm not surprised that you asked me that question. Uh, Lucian, I did see it coming. So how did I become a fan? So I actually spent 10 years in New York. I attended high school there. I attended the United Nations International School. And I went to New York University afterwards um, uh, before I came to DC. So I spent, you know, it was a good length of time. I don't know why I chose the Jets over the Giants, uh, I guess, because the Giants were obviously they, they had just won, I think, a Super Bowl when I when I first got to New York. So, you know, I didn't just get on the bandwagon. Uh, the, the Jets were and unfortunately, 20 years later, remain an underdog. So um, <laughs> so there was something appealing about them. Uh, I started watching, I think, back in 1991. So it's been long time 30 years uh i wish their record was a little better but i still have you know i still love watching football uh, i think football in general has increased in popularity in the kingdom and um uh, certainly many of the saudis who've studied in the united states uh, developed an appreciation and became fan of fans of the nfl and they, that remains with them when they go back to the kingdom um but sports in general is obviously one of these uh, things that transcends borders and cultures. And so it has universal appeal. Saudi Arabia, as both of you gentlemen know, uh, does have a predominantly young population. So it's not a surprise that sports are so popular. For many years, soccer was, and I think it remains the, uh, the most popular sport. But uh, again, the credit goes to our leadership and uh, including my own boss here, Princess Rima, who played an important role in mm -hmm. uh, advancing and promoting a sports industry uh, in the kingdom. So over the years, uh, the, our sports authority has attracted, let's see, we've had, we've had golfing tournaments, we've had Formula One, Formula E, we've had WWE, we can't forget them, uh, we've had uh, tennis tournaments and and I think there's very wide appeal for that not just you know these events not only introduce world-class athletes to our uh you know Saudi citizens but at the same time it introduces the world to our Saudi people and and showcases some of our landmarks because they do take place in obviously in some of our major cities or some of as a background uh some of these uh World Heritage sites that we have, so it's a win-win situation for us. It also uh, generates uh, sizable income and generates uh, sizable jobs for Saudi men and women. So, as far as we're concerned, it's a win-win. Now, I would, having said that, I would like to see a lot more winning from the Jets. You know, they play in a couple <laughs> of uh, days. Um, keeping my fingers crossed, but we'll see what happens. They had I'm that always surprise hopeful. win against the uh, Dolphins two weeks ago, so that's great. We've been speaking with uh, Fahad Nazar, who's spokesperson for the Saudi Embassy in Washington. Fahad is a subscriber of the Sustig News Review, um, a daily newsletter, which you can get at sustg.com. Fahad, thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Fahad. Thank you. Thank you.